Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. Well, I'm glad that you are here. You know, as we talk about the resurrection and about the life of Jesus, there's a few different ways that we can look at it. We can look at it as a story, right? Like it's, it's a story that people tell. It's, it's maybe one of the religions out there. It's, it's this idea, maybe it's a, a symbolic and maybe it's myth and, and there's meaning in that, but it's, it's a story about a guy that lived a long time ago. And we can go down that road and we can put Jesus in the category of, of maybe good, good teacher, whether he was real or myth, or there's a story there and we can approach Jesus in that way. And, and, and there's, there's some meaning to it. There's some really good lessons to his life. Another way we can approach the life of Jesus is that it's history. And, and the truth is, well, you can't scientifically prove the resurrection. It's impossible. That's the definition of a miracle, right? It's not scientifically reproducible. When you look at history, you have to say something happened. Like it's the dividing point in all of time. We mark our calendars by it. We live our lives by it. When you, when you read historians, not Christian historians, not stories from the Bible, but when you read scripture, what you find is that something significant happened. As you look at the lives of his followers, when he was on his way to the cross, they were deserting him. They were terrified. But within a matter of weeks, they would be the ones of whom it said they're turning the world upside down. They're the ones that actually gave their very lives for something that they believed in. And it's in history. It's not just folklore. When you read historians, you'll find that it's there, that something significant happened. If you don't believe in miracles, you can still say whatever happened in the 30s AD was significant and the world has been marked by it. And I, I love that part of Jesus. And, and I, I love the, the idea even of Jesus is a myth. And some of you, when I say myth, you're like, what in the world is he talking about? A myth is a story by which we get all meaning from. And I, and I love that because the story of Jesus is powerful. And then when we look at the history of Jesus, there's something powerful. But I, I wanna to propose to you that there is a third way, maybe the most important way to look at it. Not just Jesus as a story and not just Jesus as history, but Jesus as my story. And, and when we begin to embrace his story as my story, it turns everything upside down. Would you turn with me to Luke 24? We're going to read the story together. Luke 24, 1, it says, Very early that Sunday morning, the women made their way to the tomb, carrying the spices that they had prepared. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Jesus' mother, Mary. Arriving at the tomb, they discovered that the huge stone covering the entrance had been rolled aside, so they went in to look. But the tomb was empty. Say empty. empty. 
the body of Jesus was gone. They stood there stunned and perplexed. Suddenly, two men appeared above them in dazzling white robes, shining like lightning. Terrified, the women fell to the ground on their faces. The men in white said to them, why would you look for the living one in a tomb? He's not here, for he has risen. Say risen. <laughs> Have you forgotten what he said to you while he's still in Galilee? The destiny of the Son of Man is to be handed over to sinful men, to be nailed to a cross, and on the third day to rise again. All at once they remembered his words. Leaving the tomb, they went to break the news to the eleven and to all the others of what they had seen and heard. When the disciples heard the testimony of the women, pause. <laughs> women. You've got a good story to tell. I think it's significant that Jesus first showed up to women. You're not second-class citizens in the kingdom. It says that it made no sense to them. <laughs> and they were unable to believe what they had heard. But Peter jumped up like Peter did and ran the entire distance to the tomb to see for himself. Stooping down, he looked inside and discovered it was empty. There was only a linen sheet lying there. Staggered by this, he walked away, wondering what it meant. Let's pray. Jesus, we acknowledge that you are alive. We thank you that that tomb is empty. That death was defeated. And we honor you. Lord, we pray this morning for each of us that your story would become our story. That as you walked out of that grave, so we would walk out of the grave. That as you left your grave closed behind, that we would leave the old behind and step into the new. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at the story of Jesus, I find this, that a lot of people get stuck in the story. And here's what I mean. We, we look at Jesus and somehow the, the first group of people, they want the resurrection without the crucifixion. They want life without surrender. And, and, and it's appealing, right? Like that's, that's I, I, don't, I don't blame you if that's the place that you're in. It's, it's the way of the world. It's trying to find meaning of life and trying to find life itself, peace, joy, happiness, contentment on our own. And it makes life seem a lot easier. You become the boss of your own life. You're the one that determines your own way. You're the one that makes a way for yourself. You're the, the self-made man, the self-made Woman, and we, we put ourselves in life that way, and we get stuck there. It's wanting life to the full apart from the Lordship of Jesus. And, and the truth is, we can even be in the church for a long time and still live life that way. 
Because as you know, going to church doesn't always mean very much for your life. I'm a fan of the church, but sitting in a seat doesn't make you a follower of God, doesn't adopt you into the family of God. The truth is that we have to die. And and dying is not easy. And it's not fun. Like, none of us are like, hey, I just want to die. And I don't mean even physically die, although none of us are looking for that, I don't think. But I also mean just to give up my own way, right? Like to give up my own dreams, my own rights, my, my ability to wake up in the morning and just decide that I'm going to do what I want to do and, and I don't have to answer to anybody. And the truth is there's a temptation to try to get the kingdom of God without the king. And, and we see it all over the place. It's man's attempt to build some sort of heaven-like society apart from Jesus as Lord. And it's appealing until you find that it's impossible. Peter kind of had this idea. Go with me to Matthew chapter 16. It says, verse 21, it says, from then on, Jesus began to clearly reveal to his disciples that he was destined to go to Jerusalem to suffer injustice from the elders, the leading priests, and the religious scholars. He also explained to them that he would be killed and three days later raised to life again. Peter, who was bold, he took him aside to correct him privately. He reprimanded Jesus over and over saying to him, God forbid, master, spare yourself. You must never let this happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and he said, get out of my way, you Satan. Ah. Man, sometimes honesty hurts, doesn't it? He says, you are a hindrance to me because your thoughts are only filled with man's viewpoints and not with the ways of God. And then says this, then Jesus said to his disciples, if you truly want to follow me, you should at once completely reject and disown your life. And you must be willing to share my cross and experience it as your own. That's significant. What Jesus is saying is that we can actually experience his cross as our own cross. He goes on to say, For if you choose self-sacrifice and lose your lives for my glory, you will continually discover true life. But if you choose to keep your lives for yourself, you will forfeit what you try to keep. Here's the reality of those who want the resurrection life without the crucifixion. Is that we're trying to grasp at life and hold on to it keep it to ourselves, make sense of it on our own, be in control of it. And what Jesus says is that it won't work out very well. The truth is sometimes it works out for a little while. Sometimes it feels good for a little while. Sometimes there's contentment in it for a little while. But what Jesus says that is unless 
you allow my cross to become your cross. Unless you die to yourself, you'll never actually live. like to suggest to you that it's impossible to have real life, resurrection life without the crucifixion. That until you allow yourself to die, you'll never really live. Let me take it out of maybe religious language. Until you surrender to Jesus, you will not have life. Some of you have lived life kind of like the guy on Monty Python, like, I'm not dead yet. Like you're, you're trying to hold on to it, right? Like you're doing whatever you can to keep some piece of your life intact and it is killing you. And the invitation of Easter is to surrender, to allow the cross of Christ to become your cross, that you would identify with Jesus. And what this means, what this point of surrender means is that we lay down our lives and say, Jesus, I'm making you Lord. And I'm receiving your life. There's another part of the story that we get stuck in. And it's at the cross. I love the cross. But how many of you know Jesus is not on the cross? Sometimes we live this way, that Jesus is crucified and was risen. But the truth is, is that Jesus was crucified and is risen. It's impossible to get to resurrection life apart from the crucifixion. But the temptation of religion is to find ourselves still on the cross. Here's what that looks like. It looks like trying to pay for your own sin. It looks like the try harder of religion. It looks like trying to earn God's love. When we begin to grasp how great the love of God is for us, we recognize that I didn't do anything to deserve it. This is a love so good that it's impossible that I would ever get there on my own. And this way of religion is really tempting because I can still keep a tally of my life and say, these are the good things that I've done. And I try to keep score and I, and I, I beat myself up and I try harder and harder and harder at life. It can even look really good to the world around you. Like you may be stuck in religion and you may wake up early to read your Bible and pray. And I, I do that, but not from a place of religion. Religion is that thing that, that drives you, that pushes you. It's the monkey on your back saying, keep going, dance harder, jump higher. You've got to make it happen on your own. And, and, and it's full of what I would call the shoulds. Some of you got a bad case of the shoulds. <laughs> you're not actually free. You're like stuck in this religious thing that you're just stuck. And you're trying to crucify yourself. The invitation of the gospel is way better than that. 
so we would let our, let his death be our death so that his life can be our life. At the, the cross, Jesus paid for everything. He took care of your sin. In fact, scripture says this about your sin, that he remembers your sin no more. That at the cross, Jesus dealt once and for all with sin. And when he did that, what he did is he brought you back into the family of God. You've been adopted into the family of God. Here's the great thing about adoption from a biblical standpoint is that a father could disown a son, but a father could never disown an adopted son. That means that when you allow Jesus's crucifixion to be your crucifixion, and when it establishes the, the, the new covenant, that agreement made for the purpose of oneness, that we're in him and he's in us, we can't do anything to get out of it and we're not going to scare him off. You may think like, yeah, but you don't understand what I've done. You say, Jesus paid it all. Think about this. There was, when Jesus was on the cross, there were two thieves next to him on the cross. One of them said, Jesus, would you remember me when you're in paradise? Jesus in the Joel version says, no. He says, because you're going to be there with me. That guy didn't have any opportunity to make things right. He didn't have any opportunity to do any good deeds. He, he couldn't clean up his mess. He couldn't feel guilty enough or shameful enough. All he had to do was believe. The invitation of the cross is that we would believe. The temptation of religion is to earn it ourselves. Go with me real quick to John chapter 10. I'm going to tell you something you may not know about John chapter 10. We'll start in verse 9. These are the words of Jesus. It says, I am the gateway to enter through me is to experience life, freedom, and satisfaction. A thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness, until you overflow. If you're not overflowing, there's more life for you. If you're not overflowing, there's more life for you. We tend to read this passage about the thief as if the thief is the devil. And, and in some ways you could draw a line to it, but the thief that Jesus is talking about is actually religion. And when we begin to, to recognize what religion tries to do for us, the way of religion is to kill, steal, and destroy. It's to keep you stuck in strife. And it's to keep you from life. 
You see, what Jesus is doing is he is giving you not that you would earn it, but he is giving life to the full. And here's what I know. Every time that I recognize that I'm, I don't have life to the full in me, I see it as an invitation to, to get some more. Just, yes, God, there's more life for me. Just receive all the life. Go ahead and put your hands out. There's more life for you. Just receive it. I'll just take more life. God, just tell him, God, I'll take more life. Come on. Till you overflow, there's more. The antidote to religion is trust. All those racing thoughts, lay them down in trust. To, to give up, to say, okay, God, it's not what I can do. It's what was already done. Every bit of my stuff was paid for at the cross. Here's the, the third place that I think we find ourselves in. So we live a life, we live a life that leaves Jesus in the tomb. You see, crucifixion, death, burial, that's pretty easy to believe. It's the way that most people's lives end up. But many of us live in a way where we keep Jesus in the tomb. And it's easier that way, although it's miserable. And I would say this about the life that keeps Jesus in the tomb. It's functionally agnostic. It's powerless. It's, it's the idea that I can pray a prayer that will get me into heaven and then just go on about life. And it's really similar to the life still lived on the cross. Except maybe you're not carrying all the, the, the baggage that the, the crucifying Christian would carry. But instead, you still live without life and you just kind of do your own thing. And it's easy to live this way because it's much easier to live by sight than by faith. You know, part of this is the way that our minds work. You see, if you were to talk to a uh, psychologist or a neurologist, what they would tell you is, this will be a, an oversimplification, but what our minds do when, information's come, when information comes at our minds is it sorts it into two categories. Sorts it into fact and fiction. It's like it comes at us and, and it has to know, okay, what do I do with this information? I'll give you an example. If you're watching TV and there's a violent scene on, maybe it's like a, a hostage situation and it's a standoff. There's police and there's helicopters, all, all that stuff. Your mind has to decide, how am I going to respond? Is this a news story covering what's going on? 
Or is this a movie that's depicting something that's not really going on? It's full of, of actors. It's not reality. It's just fiction. So your mind takes that information and sorts it. Says this is true. This is not true. Here's what the religious mind does. So the religious mind puts stuff into a category called fiction, but then recalls it to everybody else as if it were fact. And I, when I came to realize this, it made a lot of sense for me actually pretty recently of my life. Because there are a lot of things that I would say I believe, but I don't live like I believe them. I'll give you an example. Many of you were there a couple of summers ago when my friend Josh Wood was preaching. It's back when we met at Goodnight. And I, I knew this about Josh. I knew that he had a brain tumor. And Josh knew that God was going to heal him. So Josh is preaching. And all of a sudden he starts looking around and we're all like on the edge of our seat. Like, is he seeing like angels? What's going on? He then spins around and he falls off the stage and goes into a full-blown seizure. It was difficult to watch. So Josh goes to the hospital and meets with a neurologist and it's not looking good. They say, hey, we need to operate really quickly. He had had cancer before and they, they got as much of it as they could, but it, the tumors had regrown. So Josh is meeting with the neurologist and I'm at the hospital every day trying to do my best to take care of him and his family. Under the surface, I, I wouldn't have acknowledged it at the time, but I'm actually really angry because Josh is convinced that he's going to live. And the doctors are saying he's got about 18 months left. And he said, no, God's gonna heal me. He's already paid for it. It's going to happen. In fact, some of his last words before he had that seizure and fell off the stage was that the blood of Jesus is enough. And, and as he was falling, people were standing because he was, he was inviting people to pray to receive healing and there were people whose bodies were healed. This like, like how can your brain even like comprehend that, right? Like there's just so much going on there. So I recognize now that my frustration was actually with his belief because he believed that God was going to heal him. He, had believed, he believed that it was already paid for. He would meet with the doctors, top neurologists in the nation, I imagine in the world, and he'd say, I'm gonna live. And I'm like, you know, kind enough or shy enough or whatever not to say anything. I'm like, man, this isn't all that great. And I'm gonna have to help pick up the pieces. You probably wanna know what happened in Josh's story. Josh was healed. I, I 
saw the video of him sitting with his doctor, looking at the scans. I saw the scans with my own eyes and the doctor said, I don't know what's going on, but whatever you're doing, keep doing that. You don't have any cancer. Here's what I realized about myself is that I had sorted the information that Jesus, that the blood of Jesus was enough, that God wanted to heal Josh, that he had already indeed paid for it. I had sorted that into the, the fiction side of my brain under the religious category. Meaning I could preach sermons on it, but I don't know that I could have believed it. And I definitely didn't believe it the way that Josh did. But what Josh had done with that information is that he took Jesus at his word and he actually sorted that information into the category called reality. Yay, Josh. Yay, Josh. And so he lived and lives by that reality. And it made me really mad until I recognized I could just move the information over that that should be the reality that I live from as well. You see, when we live life in that place that doesn't believe in the power of God to bring death back to life, then we find ourselves going through the motions but missing the very life itself. Let me say this to you. If you were to, to read in John 21, the story of Thomas, we call Thomas doubting Thomas, and I suppose he was. Jesus shows up to the disciples for whatever reason, Thomas was not there in the room. And so he doesn't believe the stories. It's like, man, Jesus was dead. I, I saw that he was dead. I know where they buried him. Something happened, but I don't believe that he's alive. And he says, unless I put my fingers in the nail holes in his hands and feet and in his side where that spear pierced him, I won't believe. You know what Jesus did? Jesus did not rebuke Thomas for his doubt. Instead, he showed up to him. Said so he said, okay, here it is. Some of you have been wrestling with doubt and Jesus just wants to meet you in that place of doubt. He's kind enough, he's good enough to meet you there. You don't need to beat yourself up because you're struggling to believe. What Galatians 2 says is this, that we're saved by the faith of Jesus. Not simply by faith in Jesus, but by the faith of Jesus. You see, that faith is actually a gift. We just have to be open to it, but it's a gift. You don't have to muster up the emotional and spiritual energy to try to believe. Instead, you just say, Jesus, I surrender. Would your faith become my faith? You see, when we allow that to happen, that's why... Jesus says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains because it's not how much faith you have, it's actually just where you put it. When you put your faith in Jesus, you get to live by the faith of Jesus. 
That's way greater than my faith. Some of you just need to receive the faith of Jesus. Just let that be your faith. Let that be what sustains you. I love what the angel said to the women who showed up there. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Jesus is not in the tomb anymore. And we don't have to look for him there. Instead, we can recognize that he is alive and he's giving his life away. Go with me. In closing, go with me to Romans chapter six. Start in verse three. It says, or have you forgotten that all of us who are immersed into union with Jesus, the anointed one, were immersed into union with his death. When Jesus died, you died with him. One of the great misunderstandings of the gospel is we think that Jesus simply died for us, but he actually died as us. And we, when we put our faith in him, we died with him. goes on to say, sharing in his death by our baptism means that we were co-buried with him so that the Father's glory raised Christ from the dead. We were also raised with him. We have been co-resurrected with him. Say co-resurrected. That means that you get to experience his resurrection life. When he rose, you rose. He didn't just die for you, but he dies, died as you and you died with him. So that when he resurrected, he didn't just rise for you, but he rose as you so that you can also rise with him. We have been co-resurrected with him so that we could be empowered to walk in the freshness of new life. For since we are permanently grafted into him to experience a death like his, then we are permanently grafted into him to experience a resurrection like his and the new life that it imparts. Could it be any clearer that our former identity is now and forever deprived of its power? Yes. Yes. We're not resurrecting an old man. Some of you have been trying to resurrect an old man instead of live as a new man. For we were co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us so that we would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. Obviously, a dead person is incapable of sinning. And if we were co-crucified with the anointed one, we know that we will also share in the fullness of his life. And we know that since the anointed one has been raised from the dead, to die no more. His resurrection life has vanquished death and its power over him is finished. For by his sacrifice, he died to sin's power once and for all. And now he lives continually for the Father's pleasure. This is the grand finale. So let it be the same way with you. Since you are now joined with him, you must continually view yourselves as dead and unresponsive to sin's appeal while daily, while living daily for God's pleasure in union with Jesus, the anointed one.
Where do you find yourself in the story of Jesus? Are you at that place where you have been trying to hang on the cross next to Him, living that life still on the cross, beating yourself up with sin and shame and guilt? If that's you, if you're in that place, I wanna pray for you. Would you just stand? We just wanna say, hey, I'm, I just need to surrender to the very life of Jesus. I'll let his death be my death so his resurrection can be mine. Come on. Awesome. God is giving you life. We just say in the name of Jesus, shame comes off of you. In the name of Jesus, performance is broken. Trent, you don't have to try any harder. Bo, you don't have to make it happen. Some of you are really good. Like you do good things. You live in kindness. But what God is saying to you is it is finished. The striving is over. He was crucified for you and as you, and you died with him. We just declare over you new life. You have been co-resurrected with Christ. You can go ahead and take the grave clothes off. Hey, bro, in the, in the back, in the blue shirt, what's your name? Juan? Juan, you're awesome. And God's love is all over you. He has a big call in your life. And he wants to just give you life. We just break performance on Juan's life. We just say that he is more than enough, that the very life of God lives in him. Thank you, Jesus. What's, what's your name? Amy? God just delights in you. He's a father for you and he's crazy about you. And you are loved and you are accepted. And he is for you. And Lord, we just bless Amy. We thank you for her. This couple right here, what's your name? James and Debbie? You guys are incredible. Y'all are like a power couple. See God just breaking the past off of you. And it says that he once and for all defeated sin and that he separated our past as far as the east is from the west. There's none of that still on you. It is done, it is finished. In Jesus' name. Y'all can stay standing. I just wanna talk to the, the, this other group of people that you're just struggling with faith. Like you've just been trying to like make faith happen on your own 
You've been living this powerless life. You're just stuck and it's like your life has no power. And if that's you and you just need the power of God just to fill you, to bring life to you, I just want you to stand. I just wanna pray for you also. Yes, Lord. God, we just thank you for your life. Lord, we thank you that you gave your life so that we could experience the resurrection power of God. And Lord, we just receive your faith. Ivan, I just see God working in your life, man. And he's sparking this evangelism thing in your heart. And what it says in scripture is that when the gospel goes, that signs and wonders go with it. And it's not about putting on a show, but it's about the evidence that God is real. And I just feel like God wants to move in your life in such a way, and it's really simple. It fits you. It's not you being anybody else, but it just fits you. As you pray for people, you're gonna see the power of God come. We just bless you with that. God, we just thank you for your life. Just bless the whole Telfer clan back there. God, I just thank you that your resurrection power is at work in them. There's a, another group of people and those would be the ones who you've just been trying to do it all on your own. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never given him your all. And you need to give your life to Jesus this morning. You need to make him the Lord of your life, the master, the one that you follow, that you trust his crucifixion to be your crucifixion and his death to be your death and his burial to be your burial and his resurrection to be your resurrection, that you need to put your whole life into Jesus. And if that's you, I just want you to stand. Today is a day of life for you. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, we just thank you for your life. Lord, we thank you that you love to give your life to us. We trust you with life, Jesus. What's your name? Ashley, you didn't want me to call you out. I know that, it's okay. When Jesus died on the cross, you were on his mind. He was thinking about you, Ashley. And what he said to you is that you're innocent. He took all the stuff in your past, the stuff that you've done, but also the stuff that was done to you. And he got rid of it. And when he was buried, that past was buried. I just feel like God is working in your heart and he's just bringing life into your heart. He's, he's dealing with all that stuff and he's just saying, let it, let it go. 
He's already forgiven you and he's made you clean, white as snow. I just declare over you that you're innocent. And that's true for all of you, that, that the blood of Jesus marks you as innocent. That there is no record of wrong against you. Would you all stand? Jesus, we just honor you. We love you, Jesus. You can put out your hands and our ministry team can come on forward. And if you need prayer for anything, I would suggest that if you were standing, I, I, I would love just to have somebody pray for you. But if, if you need anything, if, if maybe you need healing in your body. In fact, there's probably somebody here that has cancer and you're wrestling with cancer. And I believe that God wants to heal you of cancer. And so Jesus, we just receive your life. Hands out, Jesus, we just receive your life. We thank you that you give us new life that there is so much life in you, that the very resurrection power of God is in us. And Lord, we just trust you to impart your very life to us. If you'd like prayer this morning, you can come on forward. If you wanna give your life to Jesus, put a stake in the ground and say, hey, I'm going all in with Jesus. I'm following him. This is a great morning to do it. Just thank you, Jesus, for your life. Lord, we thank you for your healing power, Lord, to heal that what was broken and distorted is being made whole in Jesus' name. Amen.